This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for September 11th, 2020. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can find us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you would like to leave a donation, certainly not, no obligation whatsoever, but it'd be greatly appreciated. Click the link in the show notes and it'll take you to our Red Circle page. You hit the red button for a donation. You can either do a one-time or reoccurring donation, and I'd like to take a moment to thank the people who have sent us donations so far. We greatly appreciate it. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears, and joining us alongside Case Lowe, as always. In Case, we are finally on the final path to Dangerous Gate. Everything's come together. They were back in Corican to kick off September, and it's and it's really kind of got me in like the cage match mood. I definitely feel like I'm in a dangerous mood. How are you feeling about this week's shows, and how are you feeling in general? Well, naturally, I'm always feeling dangerous. I do uh, live an off-kilter lifestyle, and I'm I'm pumped for what's to come in this month. We got a really good Cork and Hall show that we're going to talk about in just a second. We got a great Cork and Hall show on the 9th. There's an Osaka doubleheader. The first show has likely happened by the time you're listening to this, but even then, we'll preview it, give you the rundown if you haven't seen it yet for what you need to watch. And we talked last month, you know, August was the show, or August was the month where eight shows aired live on the Dragon Gate Network. Well, this month there's six. One of them is the Masato Yoshino anniversary show, which we'll talk about more next week. And then one of them is Dangerous Skate, one of the big five with one of the marquee matches. That will also have a full preview next week. But we are in the swing of things. Things are happening. I'm excited for what's to come this month. Yeah, yeah. And given how loaded Oct- or August was, it this month does feel a little bit more like we're in the swing of things. It does not feel like it's like, oh, this is like a rare month like this. Like this feels like the lead to something. Uh, the Osaka show is coming up this weekend. We're going to talk about a bit later. And getting another uh, homecoming show in Higashi Osaka is going to be really exciting as well. And then from there, it's off to the races for the rest of the year. Like this really does. Like I know we've talked about like the hot period and all of this, but we kind of had like a like a preliminary hot period in a way with all those shows in August and with all the things that have been going on that it kind of, in a lot of ways was like, we were doing like our first practices. Like we're back in, we're back in sports. We're doing our, our two days and that kind of settles us into what's going to be a very exciting remainder of Dragon Gate's 2020 year. Well, fans returned on July 4th and Kyoto and 
looking at the schedule and just seeing the way things have played out, there's really no stopping the momentum until we likely hit January and February and the usual dead period there because Dragon Gate tends to start the year a little bit slower. But we're talking about a loaded lineup in July, a loaded lineup in August. We've got a big pay-per-view this month. October Corkin is already going to be a noteworthy Corkin because we're going to have the, the new demon unmasked. And then November has Gate of Destiny and Kobe World within the span of two weeks. And then December is a Cork and Hall show and Final Gate at the end of the end, at the end of the year. So it just it, it does not stop. It is going to be a continuous effort from here on out with the roster. I'm excited to cover it all with you. I you know there's so much wrestling in Japan that is about to unfold between the G1 and the N1 and the Champions Carnival and this and that. I understand that Dragon Gate is probably going to get lost in the shuffle, but excluding the A block of the G1, which I was kind of waxing poetically about to Mike before before we started recording, where you have your Shingos and Okadas and Ishis and Ospreys and these incredibly, incredibly talented people all in one block, I, I, I expect that to outdo Dragon Gate in terms of some match quality, but in terms of overall show quality storytelling, etc. There's a lot of wrestling going on within the next few months, but I really don't anticipate any company topping Dragon Gate from an overall package unless Dragon Gate falls off a cliff and, you know, doesn't capitalize on the momentum they've built up for the last few months. And I think that's actually a good way to kind of start looking into this month's Corkin because everything came together on this Corkin. We've been speculating for weeks, like, okay, we know what the top-line match is at Dangerous Gate. We know about the cage match. They've put together the twin and triangle matches beforehand. We now have a Brave Gate match. We have a special challenge match. And the, this was this was interesting because this would traditionally be like a go-home show, but, I mean, they still have their double shot in Osaka and then the Yoshino, the Yoshino homecoming show. But in a lot of ways, this felt like the show that everything came together for what looks like to be an incredibly compelling dangerous gate and we might get into it either this week or next week given time just like looking at past dangerous gate shows what they have on paper right now stacks up with the best of them well it's a weird show too because it is dangerous gate but it's built like it's dead or alive and if you look at the typical build for the dead or alive show which happens on may 5th or 6th every year the corican in May is always after Dead or Alive. It is typically the start of the King of Gate tournament. So you come out of Champions Gate in March, and then you you get a March Corkin and an April Corkin, and then you know maybe a Fukuoka show, probably an Osaka number two show. Maybe they go back after Champions Gate, but not likely. So typically the build to the cage match is expedited. They don't have a ton of televised shows to get in all of this booking in it. It sort of plagued this show. We talked about it a lot, how the main event on this show, the September 9th Stormgate Corrigan, felt like a retread of what they had already done last month. Although I understand why they wanted to shake things up a little bit more, the main event was like, been there, done that. You know, we've seen this combination of guys in the main of Corrigan Hall. We just want to get to the cage match now, but they had so much time to build to this match where it's typically a very rushed process. 
And then you look at the rest of the card, and again, we'll go match-by-match full-card breakdown next week when we're a little bit closer to the show, but everything that came out of this show just stacked and stacked and stacked, and now we have a really loaded card for what it, it's hard to believe it's the first big five that we're getting this year dead or alive was was canceled kobe world was postponed we are finally getting a big dragon gate pay-per-view in the month of september and it's with dangerous gate and it is a loaded show thanks in large part due to the storytelling of this cork and hall show so let's get into this cork and hall show it was it happened on september 9th 2020 attendance was 658 i've seen that re- reported as Somewhat of a sellout, somewhat not. It's kind of complicated with COVID measures, but it is up a massive 80 seats from last month. They've been building month to month in Corkin. It started off like in 500, and now they're approaching 700, and it seems like that protocols are going to get relaxed even more in the future. So it was a strong uh, just overall business performance, and then you know it ended up being a two-and-a-half-hour show, show that case. In my, my opinion, there was one match where I thought was a blow-away match, but the rest of the card, I mean, other than the one match that we both were talking about last week that were like, I don't know about this, everything was either two ex- expectations in-ring or storyline-wise and came out to be, I was very satisfied after I finished watching the show. What were your thoughts about this month's Cork and overall? Well, the booking abomination... Of Yosuke Santa Maria and Punch Tamanaga versus Takashi Yoshida and Diamante, that match was not as bad as it could have been. I I did not find that match to be offensive in the slightest. So when you look at how that, I'm not gonna say it delivered. Let's not get carried away. But how that match wasn't bad, and even with uh, what I thought was a disappointing main event, which we'll kind of talk about the pros and the cons of that match. I, you know, I really liked this show. I thought the opener was fun. I went back-to-back four-star matches in the middle of the card. I liked the semi-main event a lot. I mean, the thing with the roster is right now, I was thinking about this right before we went on the air, there was such a strange division within the roster where you could argue the main event, Shimizu Aten Yamato versus Hulk Kai and Yoshino, with the exception of Naruki Doi, those are probably the six most over guys in the company, and they're weirdly the the least exciting group of guys right now. I you know I think Mike and I, it goes to our taste a little bit that we're so uh, interested in gearing towards the future and who's next and blue chip prospects and all of this. But you look at the card and even the match that preceded it. You know, Ashida and Sakamoto, who's become a really good wrestler against Ben K and Daya. Like I I'm just more intrigued by what those guys are doing. The eight man tag of Lee Minoru and KZ and UT versus Dragon Kid, Kagatora, Doi, and Susumu, like, those are guys that I have a real investment in. It's weird to think that the main event scene right now, for as good as this company is, and for as strong as the booking is, it's weird to think that the main event scene is actually what I'm least interested in right now. And it's something where there has been periods, long stretches of this promotion in recent memory, where it was so bolstered by okay, whatever's going to happen in the four matches pre-intermission will happen, but we know that the semi-main and the main at a Corkin is going to make the show worth it. Now I'm like looking at it, and there's certainly like the storyline investment in the main event, and I think it's good that it has that because you do have pretty much from match three through six on the show, you will have matches that 
or, or match four through six on the show that arguably, according to what your personal tastes are and your opinion, you could make a rational argument for three four-star matches here. And I think that that's entirely reasonable. And then you have the main event, which in a lot of ways, like this is where you're getting the classic Dragon System melodrama there. So it kind of ties it in there. And it's they're in a very comfortable situation in a lot of ways that I'm okay with them having a three and a half star main event and doing a lot of storyline stuff because you have all of the solid stuff that's happening right before it. So it is an interesting predicament. And I think you're totally right about like investment at least in a match quality standpoint for the main event but it's almost like that they they're in this really like interesting phase that i feel like there's an abundance of riches like match quality wise and it's important that now you're starting to see the crowd as much as we can tell latch on to some of these younger figures because you look at the remainder of this card and you're having the, the this interesting disparity of guys who are in their early 20s and then guys are in their 40s and their 50s and it's important to get the guys in their 20s over because who knows who's going to be around in five and ten years so it's a real interesting thing that's kind of interplaying with itself and i feel like that it was very clear that that was happening as well on this corican and i should clarify quickly before we we start at the opener and break down this card but i enjoy the main event scene for what it is right now i was just uh, doing i was looking at some older cards like the 2017 main event scene from the the back half of Yamato's Open the Dreamgate run that started off perfectly with him beating Shingo at World and then just evolved or devolved rather into making me hate Yamato and Yamato dropped the title to Mochizuki, Masaki Mochizuki, our favorite wrestler and I didn't even care for Mochizuki's reign up until the end of it when he defended against Ben K and KZ towards, you know, the the beginnings of 2018, like the 2017 main event scene was bad because despite Yamato creeping up to four stars and Mochizuki, you know, can roll out of bed and put on a four and a quarter star match, there was zero emotional investment in the storytelling going on at the top of the card. Now it's just a case where I think there's so much exciting young talent in the company that I'm, you know, when cards are released, I'm looking at matches three, four, and five to see what's going on there. And then I accept the main event for what it is because I'm invested in that storytelling, even if I know it's probably not going to top any match of the year list. But up and down the card, I really like what's happening. And and it was apparent on this show where up and down the card, I really liked what was happening. Yeah, and I think with that, it's a good way to transition into breaking down this show again this was on the 9th it'll be up on the network through the 16th and at least for the japanese commentary version i do not believe as of time of recording that the english commentary is up with jay and ho ho loon yet but when it goes up it does seem like they don't pull down the english commentary so that looks like that'll be up for the immediate future with no idea of a time frame but the opener was an unaffiliated tag match with maraha sapa of Ginki Horiguchi and Ryo Saito getting the win over the unaffiliated team of Masaki Mochizuki and Gamma. Horiguchi got the win with the backslide from heaven in 10 minutes and 43 on Gamma. And really kind of interesting opener. It was a lot more playing to Ryo Saito's comedy strengths than anything else, but it ended up like, like it was not like a blow away, but it ended up like coming out. I was like, you know what? If this is like the big comedy match on the show, this was a fun fun lighthearted kind of jaunt to start the evening 
I like the Mochizuki Gamma team. It's a it's a messed up combination of one of the best wrestlers of all time and one of the most groan inducing wrestlers of all time. But they know their role. They do it well. Their matches. You know, this got ten minutes, almost eleven minutes for an opener. But it was entertaining the entire time. I can never really say that Mochizuki and Gamma overstay their welcome. And when you put them in the ring with a team like Horiguchi and Saito, it's bound to be a three-star match. I mean, it's it's good stuff to start the show. It's weird to see in 2020 the way they've almost morphed their opener of either these unaffiliated opening tags, where it's, you know, a lot of two versus two instead of four versus four or five versus five, or it is the six-man Toriumon versus Drangate opener. It is weird to see an evolution at the start of the card, but as I've talked about multiple times now, as someone that has to review every Cork and Hall show, doesn't. I don't, I don't have to. I want to, for the fans. But I, I have run out of words to describe the random six-man, eight-man opening tag. It's nice to see them mix up the cards just a little bit in terms of participants and match, and match structure. Yeah, and it... It, it was an interesting enough match. I, I did like that they kind of were playing on some of the standard Ryo Saito and Kinki Horiguchi tropes in this. Like, the rubber band attack, they did it in the ring, and they were both, like, all four of them were kind of messing it up, which was kind of funny. And then there was a whole lot of misfires that afterwards everyone was, like, shaking their hands, going, like, it's okay. We had it. I'm not going to hold it against you that you layered me four times, Gamma. It's okay. It's okay. And it just was, like, a nice kind of breezy way and especially for someone like mochizuki who we talked a little bit about like all the stuff that's going on in japan like it's clear right now that for 2020 masaki mochizuki's focus is elsewhere in the n1 and that's totally fine like that does not like worry me whatsoever so he can go you know hang out with these guys and goof around in the opener kind of interesting though about mochizuki the first time i think i've seen him in a long time where he hasn't colored his hair so we actually saw some gray there and i was like all right, you're leaning into the old man phase. Like, just get real cranky with it. But I came out of this two and three quarters and just was a decent, just lighthearted opener. You know, I'm glad you said that about Mochizuki and him sort of accepting his role this year because I was going to bring this up when we broke down the Osaka shows, but the longer the generational warfare has gone on this year, while at the same time, Mike and I for the Drangate USA Rewatch and Rewind have been breaking down Junction 3 versus Blood Warriors, something that has really become apparent to me is the focal point of Junction 3 versus Blood Warriors was Masaki Mochizuki versus Shima. And the fact that right. nine years later, in you know, in wrestling where time stands still and guys that were main eventing shows before I was born are still in the main event and wrestling can't seem to draw the 18 to 34 demographic, the fact that only nine years later, Drangate can produce a similar angle without the two focal points for the prior incarnation of full-on unit warfare, I find it to be really impressive. Yeah, yeah, and it's something that shows, like, the importance of someone like Yamato, the company ace being in this, the elevation of Ada, and finding the right use for the Torimon wrestlers. It's been really kind of interesting to see. And, and also, speaking about interesting, we had the next match, Dragon Gate versus R.E.D. singles match. This was the traditional only singles match on the show. It was Keisuke Akuda, the most interesting man in wrestling, versus Hyo, my main man, my small leopard child. Hyo. Hyo got the win, but it was in two minutes and six seconds and with a disqualification as Keisuke Akuda has officially lost it. 
I am so in love with what they're doing with him. I think everything Akuda has done, I mean, since he entered the company last year, but specifically this Ishida R.E.D. Bravegate chase that has sort of morphed into a few different things along the way, I still think and I still hope that we get one more Akuda versus Ishida singles match. I really think that is the direction that they need to be headed, but... I, they are dragging this out like an old-school feud. It is awesome to see Okuda just completely losing his mind. He doesn't really like his teammates. He doesn't like R.E.D. He doesn't really like anybody. He's there to beat people up. He's there to throw closed fist punches. And as a result, he was disqualified for it. And it's just really interesting. It feels completely different. Not only from anything going on in Dragon Gate it kind of feels removed from the rest of the wrestling universe because it's, even though it's a, a Dragon Gate feud for the Open the Brave Gate title, it feels really old school. Like, it is slow storytelling that is simple and effective. And like we've talked about, you know, if this was still uh, the DVD marketplace, there would be an Akuda versus R.E.D. DVD for the feud that's happened this year because there's so many small chapters in it. It is one that I think a few years from now we're going to look back on and it will hopefully end on the right note and have some rewatch value because it has been really fun to watch so far. Yeah, yeah, and it's and and they've built it in a way that like has all these twists and turns but it feels entirely organic. It, they are not like going through this storyline in two months, they've let this thing breathe. You get to clearly see how much R.E.D. has gone into Akuda's head, as much as so much that he's broken down and started to shove away his best friend, like his legit best friend, in a manner that would not have happened in normal times. And it's just remarkable seeing what happens here. Then you have that play into the uh, you have that play into the semi-main event with the yellow demon mask, and now that's all. It's a way of being able to tie in these two things together that I still don't believe are connected, but it provides more intrigue that we don't, that we're not used to seeing. In a lot of ways, this is very much like a, a territorial feud, and it's very interesting to watch it in the one promotion that is the farthest away from a territorial style than any in the world. I love that if you look at this feud, you know, we'll call it a Kuda versus Ashida because I think at the core that's what it still is. They wrestle each other in a tag match. It's Ashida and Yoshida versus Ben K and Akuda on the March 1st Champion Gate show in Osaka. The second night, the last show before uh, we fully entered the COVID-verse. There were fans there. They could cheer even if they had masks on. It was the final show of normality. March 22nd is the first empty arena in Sambo Hall show, which is where Akuda and Ishida go around the ring and attempt to kill each other. They do the same thing a few weeks later in Sambo Hall on the next empty arena show. We know they wrestled each other in King of Gate and the Lapis Hall shows and then had a Brave Gate defense on those Lapis Hall shows. And then crowds returned and they've continued the feud from there. So we have seen in the three stages of wrestling this year, you know, pre-COVID, empty arena COVID, and post-limited capacity, we have seen this feud now inhabit all three of those spaces, and I think that is really cool to see. Yeah, and it's remarkable, and it's a testament to both of these guys how they've been able to do that, and I find it very intriguing. I think it's going to be something that, at least on all my ballots this year, it is my feud of the year, and I hope that 
people given time a good chance to like s- seek this out it's kind of sad that we don't have comp tapes because this is like the perfect comp tape to show them if i want to like show like a great feud around 2020 however what was not a great feud is uh takashi yoshida's feud with punch tomonaga however we also had yosuke santa maria and diamante in this tag match between dragon gate and red yosuke santa maria got the pin on takashi yoshida with a leg roll Krillutch and seven minutes and 33 seconds and you know this was the match that we both kind of went out gave like a paired groan when we saw it and could have been a lot worse could have been a lot worse i am very intrigued by the feud that is brewing of takashi yoshida versus mike spears sanity it seems like that is actually raging to be maybe not only the feud of the year perhaps the feud of the future I mean, if I, if I have the full mental breakdown here, I am going to blame Takashi Yoshida for it. It, it is, you know what it's going to be? It's going to be a, a Takashi Yoshida singles match at a Kobe Sambo Hall show, and it is going to be direct PTSD to Mike Spears. He's going to have too many elements of hate being you know thrusted upon him at once, and that is going to be what finally gets this man to break. Because Mike Spears, he's hanging on, and I love it. I love the effort that Mike Spears is... is uh, putting forth to just hang on and grasp some sense of sanity. A Takashi Yoshida Kobe Sambo Hall singles match is coming, and Mike will not be able to handle it. Yeah, don't speak that into existence. It's going to be like <laughs> Takashi Yoshida versus Yoshida Kanda. It's going to be Yoshida versus Punch, or you're exactly right, Yoshida versus Kanda. And Mike, I'm telling you, we got another Kobe Sambo Hall show coming up this month. Be careful, my friend. <sighs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that might be the one where I just go like, and this match happened. I refuse to watch it. Case, what's your review of it? And just do that for the sake of everyone because we don't need me to pull out my remaining hair on air where I can't monetize it. Uh, but, like, this was, like, uh, this match, like, Diamante was was fine in it. Maria had a good Maria closing stretch and punched Tominaga. Seemed motivated. He seemed like he was into it. And those were, like, my only three thoughts on it. I said this match wouldn't be a total waste of time if Maria pinned Yoshida to build towards a Brave Gate match, and that's exactly what happened. So it was it was fine with me. I went two and three quarters, slight, slightly above uh, the bare minimum professional wrestling match. I, I had no issues with this, even if I, do, if I do not want it on my cards. Two and a half stars. Bare minimum professional wrestling. <laughs> what wasn't bare middle, minimum professional wrestling Here for five go, guys Mike. in this oh, next match? Here we go, Mike. Oh, my God. You're, okay, yes, please go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, five guys in this next match did not to give the bare minimum. The other person, a much wise man, saw what the kids were doing and decided he wanted no part of it and thought that his students could take care of it. We had a six-man tag team match with the veteran legends team of Ultimo Dragon, Don Fuji, and Shuji Kondo going up against the class of 2020 of Kenta Kobune, Takeda Kamai, and Madoka Kakuta. Kondo got the uh, submission win on Kakuta with the Gorilla Clutch in 13 minutes and 33 seconds. I absolutely love this match. Gave it four stars. Straight banger. One of my favorite things on and in wrestling this year has been this class of 2020. And they brought it again, even though Ultimo Dragon wanted no part of it. So let's talk observer rules real quick. If we're talking All right. if we're talking rookie of the year, and this used to be a, a focal point of Voices of Wrestling, we've all fell off on it. We used to do really strong rookie of the year tra- tracking. We don't anymore. So you've got Kabune. Kakuta, Kamai, and Fujikawa. I'm sure there's probably some Joshi talent I don't know about. And, Mike, I would assume, and you would know better than me, it's why I'm asking you, 
There are some AEW dark guys in contention, some guys that they've brought in where it's their first taste of a major promotion. Sure. Where do the Dragon Gate rookies rank if you had to do any sort of top three for this year? I mean, is it just the Dragon Gate guys in whatever order you please? Because from what I've seen, and I watched, you know, I watched the A show dark to some extent, but not as close as you do. It just nothing seems close to what Kabune, Kakuta, Kamai, and Fujikawa have done. Well, that's a real interesting question. Uh, I'd just say, like, my Joshi usually extends solely to Stardom, and Stardom did most of their. I I don't remember where Dave starts his calendar year, so the only person that probably would account for it is Saya Kamatani, and I don't think that she is as put together as the DG rookies, but when you go, go looking into the United States and, like, the dark appearances and, like, that, Ben Carter, like, Ben Carter, I think, is up there. Um, maybe, maybe, uh, uh, he's not booked like it, but Sean Dean has been excellent on dark and would be, on like, on my short list, but I don't think he'd make my top three. I think it, Ben Carter is, like, the one person that I would rank up with this. Would Will, would Will Hobbs be in contention? Will Hobbs is like a decade in. Okay, that's the thing. all right. Yeah, I, w- I was this not is sure. His I was first not, exposure. Yeah, because I, I, that's one of those weird things. I'm trying to think. I think it was maybe, maybe it was Chase Owens who, once he came into New Japan, everybody was like, "That's the Rookie of the Year." Then you look at his cage match, and he's got matches going back to like 2005. I did not realize Hobbs was in a situation like that. But my gut tells me Hobbs, just given the way he's been pushed ever so recently, he will win that award, whether it's it's his to win or not. But I nothing comes close to me. I mean, and I don't even know how to separate these guys because, you know, Fujikawa had his match in Kobe last month. We've lost our minds about Kabune from the start. We just talked about how Kamai really upped his game. And this match was the Madoka Kakuta show. He was unbelievably great in this match. Yeah, so Will Hobbs mainly wrestled for APW out in California since 2009. Okay, the barren wasteland of APW. Understood. Yeah, understood. Uh, it's so interesting because, like, for, like, the last few months, we've been wrapping our, our heads around what kind of wrestler Madoka Kakuta will be. And he's still figuring it out as well, but he's doing this, like, in a way that he, this was the Kakuta show. This was, like, his showcase. Him just doing real lanky boy lariats and just being real long and lean. Like, he, he, he is the noodly guy, you know? Like, that, that that is the thing with him. And we got to see a lot of his perseverance in here, a lot of him in Don Fuji, a lot of him with Shuji Kondo. But, like, the one big moment that sticks my mind from this match, he's involved in it because he's being submitted. But Saketo Kamai rushing the ring repeatedly, trying to get Shuji Kondo off his classmate's back, just, like, just like hammering down fists like, a, like an angry child in, in all the best ways, not even facing Kondo until he does it so much that Kondo just looks like, all right, screw this kid. Lariats him out of his shoes and then locks in the gorilla clutch. It's something like this was like if we're just doing like match by match rankings. Obviously, Kakuta I feel like would be the top rookie in this match, but then it has to be Kamai because Kamai understands playing the small baby face so well. And Kabune is just Kabune. Like he's just he I, he's not necessarily like a supernova like wrestler, but he's one that you could easily see ace them in his future. You know who? Uh, when I guess if we're just looking for comparisons, you know who Kamai kind of reminds me of? That is, is uh, I, I, let me clarify, not his current gimmick, 
but the artist formerly known as Harai Kawato, the current master Wato, I think right. Kamai embodies a similar energy that he had, that Kawato had as a young lion, where you're right, he kind of is into taking bullets for his partners and, and wants to be in the action. He's just like, he's like giddy to get up in this. You know, he wants to fight. He wants to test his strength and he wants to protect the people he's around. I I do not worry about the future of Kamai. He is going to find a role in this company that is going to suit him incredibly well. Everything I see from Kabune, I think there is future Dreamgate potential with that guy. Whether he hits it or not, I do not know. But I really think there is potential Dreamgate uh, desires with Kento Kabune. Madoka Kakuta, I have no clue what this guy is going to be. He is the complete wild card. I don't understand how they're going to use him, when they're going to use him, what they're going to do with him. I I have no feel whatsoever. All I know is that I watch this guy wrestle. I watch him throw discus lariats to Don Fuji and take the man down. And I am completely... The, the second coming of Carrie Von Erich. <laughs> I'm so completely fascinated by this guy because he feels like such a different breed, different than, you know, Drangate is so good. They're the best in the world. So good is not accurate. They're the best in the world at producing young talent. But, uh, you know, within that division of young talent, Kakuta is just different. I just don't know what it is. I can't get a feel for... Uh, a possible comparison to him on the roster. I couldn't project his ceiling right now. Maybe if he gets a gimmick, changes his name, changes his gear, who knows? Maybe I'll have a better idea then. But I was awestruck by how good Kakuta was, and even after that, I still have no clue what the future holds for him. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think a path forward for him could be like seeing him under a mask, seeing him with a different gimmick, seeing him maybe like bulk up and you have him in a mask, he has a good enough size that he could be like the monster person of this generation just because he's so much taller and he looks like he could be someone that could put on some muscle. So like there's a lot of ways to go with this, but you can't project it right now. And that's really interesting to me because we're really like, like I'm so excited because like we only got about like two months of Shun Wanabe before he became Shun Skywalker. And then he pretty much was Shun Skywalker from there on out. Now we're approaching month four and month five of Madoka Kakuta. And it's one of those things that like, he has a look, he has a t-shirt, he has like gear crowds are the, the crowds seem to be getting into these kids as much as we could tell. I mean, they're no heartthrobs like Sora, but the, the crowd likes their fight, but you can't project out Madoka Kakuta and until we know what he's going to transition into. And I find that incredibly fascinating because Everyone else seems like they could have very clear roles. Kakuta is the one that's like, oh, he could be a uh, Magnitude Kishawada Jr., and it would not surprise me at this point. He could be, I don't know, I'm trying to think of my one. He could be Diamante Sito or something like that. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can go with him with that. Or he could just like just be like this like tall giant character. You, you can't project it, and it's really fascinating and. The one thing that like we can say now versus what we could say after his debut, he was the person in his debut match that was taped over the King of Gate months in Lapis Hall that we didn't get as much of a sense for. He wasn't the one taking the beating. It was Fuchikawa who took the beating, but he was involved now. We have a good idea of like his skills, and 
for a guy that is still this X Factor, I have utter confidence, and whatever he does will be interesting, and I feel like that he'd live up to the role, but it's just we can't tell what it will be. If if there's a possibility of Madoka Kakuta becoming the second coming of Magnitude Kishiwada and them playing off of that gimmick, I am going to LaGuardia. I am stealing Larry Dallas's ticket back to Japan. I am stepping on his head and vaulting onto that plane to get to Japan to follow Magnitude Kishiwada Jr. around because that is uh, the take-my-money gif in essence, that is exactly what I'm hoping for. I think there is a very uh, unrealistic chance of that happening, but God, I hope that Madoka Kakuta becomes the second coming of Magnitude Kishiwata. And I think you're exactly right in looking at him as one of the bigger guys, because you're right, he has height to him, but he really needs to put on muscle. He's got just a weird body right now, and it makes in this company, where aesthetics are everything, it makes it just a little bit harder to figure out how they're going to use him or what they're going to do. But less than a year into his career, we've seen that he can take a beating from Fuji and Kondo and to an extent Ultimo, and that he can also hang with Fuji and Kondo and give the beating right back to them. Really exciting match. I went four stars on it. I, I am smitten. I am blown away with the class of 2020. Absolutely. I went four stars on this as well. And then that's led into like the real meat of the lineup as we had a eight-man tag, Torimon versus Dragon Gate, Naruki Doi, Dragon Kid, Susumu Yokosuka, and Kakatora versus KZ, UT, who was a replacement for Strong Machine J, Kota Minora, and Jason Lee. Uh, KZ got the win on Kakatora with 13 minutes and 16 seconds with his running elbow smash. And this was like where I say like there's four matches that you could argue are or three matches you could argue are notebook level. I went three and three quarters on this match, and the only reason why I didn't go four is I would have loved to see like another seven minutes of this. Like this was everyone brought it. We got a really motivated Kagatora. We got UT in there showing like no fear about his injury pass, and then you got KZ, who's one of the best entering workers in the world, starting his feud with Naruki Doi, and it just was incredibly interesting. You hit the nail on the head as to what took this match to another level as compared to just another eight-man tag, and that is the motivated Kagatora. He put in work in this match. He looked great in this match. He bumped well and gave offense well to all four of the Drangate guys. I thought it was, and, and I'm someone that is very hard on Kagatora, even at, at the peak of internet buzz for him. I have never been a Kagatora guy. I think he's very good at times. But I, I just don't care about him that often. I thought he was excellent in this match. I'm so glad they are running a version of this match again at the Osaka shows that we're about to talk about. Four stars on the dot for me. It's something I've said before. I'll continue to say it. Mike, if this match if this match happened in America, let's say it was, you know, a WrestleCon show that Drangate's on. If this match happens in America In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. 
I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, ah, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network uh, it becomes the talk of the wrestling universe a crisp 13-minute eight-man tag where there is not a moment to breathe, where there is not any sort of clumsy transitions, when it is flawless execution for 13 minutes like this. Mike, no other company does this. And this was just a, it was a giant game match. It was four stars. It was whatever. It'll be at the bottom of my spreadsheet. Anywhere else, this becomes the talk of the wrestling community. Oh, no. I, I'll go one step further, Case. This match happens at, during the... Uh, the collective next month. This match becomes the best match of the collective. This <laughs> a low bar to clear. Although I will say the collective did announce Jonathan Gresham versus Lee Moriarty, and I think that does sound excellent. That's, that that is the, the, that's the top match of that weekend by far. <laughs> I can't imagine. I can't imagine them topping that on paper. I just don't know the talent out there that could possibly construct a match to beat that. But uh, no, if this oh my god, if this happened to the collective, are you kidding me? Mike, this would Mike. If that match happened at the Collective, it would be a top ten match in the Voices of Wrestling Match of the Year poll. Because oh, absolutely, the indie crowd is so desperate to find something to care about right now because they have been given utter nonsense by Game Changer and by lesser companies that are less successful than Game Changer. If you had an actually good match like this, forget it. That would be the talk of indie wrestling for the next six months. Here it's just a match. The working standard is second to none. Yeah, and then after that match, we had KZ challenge uh, Naruki Doi to a singles match at Dangerous Gate. So even though this was just a match on the card, it built to something 
that will be paid off in Tokyo later this month on a show that's already sold out, by the way. I don't know if you caught that. Uh, Dangerous Gate, for whatever their seating requirement is, completely sold out. Like, Dragon Gate, yet again, is just hitting everything as well as one can right now. And I think that's kind of remarkable. And now we have, like, a non-title match at Dangerous Gate that I'm incredibly stoked for. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, the, the card had every reason to sell out. It's outstanding on paper. And, you know, uh, just to jump ahead a little bit, but we're getting a Kaito Ishida singles match, which would get me in the building, if at all possible. Because if he wrestles anything like he did in this tag match, we are in for a treat. Okay, so this match will be a rematch of my current 2020 match of the year. And it's still, like, fifth on the, from the top on the show. Like, that's how insane that this upcoming card will be. Of course, next week we'll give our full preview. And we have another match that came out of the next match. Yeah, hold on. I got to pause you right here, Mike. I completely forgot that Doi and Casey already wrestled this year, and it is my Drangate match of the year. And they're just throwing it on this Dangerous Gate card. You're completely right. (laughs) This fucking company, I love them so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is from the before times. So it's understandable that we think that that was like a year ago when it was only seven months or less than that. Mr. But. February, KZ, he delivered in the clutch there, and I think he's going to beat Doi this time around. We'll talk about it next week. Let's talk about this tag that has Kaito Ishida, the world's most interesting wrestler, and Dragon Daya, the world's second most interesting wrestler. Well, those were kind of the team captains of this match, and it was kind of the uh, big storyline throughout. But we also had Bing K teaming with Daya, representing Dragon Gate, which was going up against R.E.D., led by Ishida, tagging with Cosmo Sakamoto, and before we get into Daya and Ishida, Benkei and, and Kazuma Sakamoto, they offered, like, the best side dish possible to the main storyline that was happening in this match. Like, imagine you're, you're going to, a, like, a nice restaurant, and you already have whatever your main course is going to be, but you're going to go get a side, a nice side. This was getting, like, your excellently done asparagus. This is, like, your nice salad. This is your starch. This was, like, these two guys just went at it, and it wasn't even the big part of this match that... I, I, I have a rating down here on the paper that I'm about to go higher of. I think it's a four-star match, and a lot of that was, of course, Dai and Ishida, but Benkei and Sakamoto weren't along for the ride, and it ended up being a 12-minute match where Ishida got the pen yet again on Dragon Dai as Dragon Dai cannot get over the hitch and a step facing RED members. Well, first of all, there is nothing asparagus-like about Benkei and Kazuma Sakamoto. That is That's a, true. That is a That's starch true. all the way if not just a second serving of meat, okay? That is, there's no asparagus qualities between those two. Case, I think I have a better, I think I have a better way of putting Please. it. This is the surf and turf match. Because <laughs> we got the lobster of Ashida and, uh, and Daya, but then we have the steak of Benkei and Sa- Cosmo Sakamoto. Does that sound better to you? That, I think we're going to go It explains why that. I like the match so much, because uh, uh, young boy K-Slow, big fan of the surf and turf when I'm not paying for it. Uh, this match, it's funny you said that you think you underrated it. I think I did too. In the VoiceOfWrestling.com review, I went three and a half. Now that I've had 24 hours for this match to sink in with me, and now that I'm talking about it, I'm going to bump it up a quarter star. Three and three quarters, not quite spreadsheet for me. But my God, these four men, I mean, it, it's weird to think, you know, a year ago, Ben K was open the Dreamgate champion. We made such a big deal about it, and rightfully so. And now he's playing second fiddle to Dragon Dio, which seems like an insult, but it's not because Ben K is just really good in that role. And we saw in his build to winning the Dreamgate how just excellent of a tag team wrestler Ben K was. And it's because he can 
you know, pull focus at times in this match when he's in the ring with Sakamoto, and then he can let his partner, Dragon Daya, shine and do what he needs to do. And Daya once again takes the fall. It, it is a fascinating thing to watch him continue to struggle and sputter and just not be able, you know, he's been able to beat everybody else on the roster. He cannot beat R.E.D. I love that story. And, you know, we're five years in to the red, black, and yellow branding of the heel unit between Verserk, Antios, and R.E.D. There are times where they have felt really overbearing in the past. Right now, I love what they're doing. You know, Ata as a champion, I think it's going to work. I'm not entirely sold on it, but I think it's going to work. But everything else down the card, I mean, this is a heel unit firing on all cylinders right now. I hope by the end of this storyline that they disband, that we get new heel branding, but if they end, you know, at the end of this generational warfare, they are going to be ending on a high note. Yeah, and it's something that kind of struck me in this match. Interesting that we both kind of came away with a similar kind of conclusion with this, that this R.E.D. team now, it feels like a really strong heel unit after like a year where it was propped up by Pac and then just like Ada kind of growing into it. Because you like look at this and you look at the... The two guys here, the five, the three guys in the main event, and then Diamante and Hyo, that's like seven solid guys to have in a heel unit, but I'm ready to see what goes next. But this is like the moment in time where I'm like, you know what, R.E.D., you kind of rock right now. Like, this is like a time where I did not think I'd be saying this in 2018 or 2019, but I'm liking R.E.D. now. They've been a lot of fun, and they were a lot of fun on this show, given the obvious caveat. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's just interesting to see this unit morph and shift and as we'll talk about either this week or next week, kind of depending on time, but the, the foundation of the red, black and yellow heel unit initially starting with berserk comes from dangerous gate 2015 when Shingo beat Yoshino for the open, the dream gate belt, he left monster express and then formed this heel unit that has certainly gone through ups and downs to say the least in their five year history, but something that has taken president more so, this past decade than the first decade of the company, and I think we're going to see more of it as we go into the 2020s, is Drangate really letting these units breathe and, and maybe last for four or five years instead of two or three years? And we've seen that with the heel unit that has, you know, I mean, they're Drangate fans. All they know is the red, black, and yellow heel unit in the main event scene. That is a generation of fans that that is all they have seen. And again, it's been good and bad, but right now I really like the place they're at. Yeah, it's really exciting. We did have a really cool finishing stretch with uh, Daya getting a chair to the back, and then we have Ishida going for the first Tiger suplex. Daya is able to get out of it, get a flash pin attempt, and then it's just he is not able to get over the, the hurdle. And Ishida locks in the Tiger suplex hold for the second time and gets the pin there. And then Maria comes out, challenges for the Brave Gate, setting up uh, Kaido Ishida's next Brave Gate defense at Dangerous Gate. You know, Ishida was a little dismissive towards Maria, saying, hey, uh, you're a comedy wrestler. This will be an opener because you're a comedy wrestler. Felt like that was a little bit, that was a little bit of a low shot there. And then he ended it talking about the Yellow Demon and getting right into Binke's face, saying, you know who this reminds me of? He's wearing yellow just like your best friend. So they're playing up the idea that the yellow the the yellow demon mask is as Keisuke Akuda. And did he say it here or afterwards that will he will discuss he'll unveil the yellow demon mask after uh, Dangerous Gate? 
I believe it was here that he said that at the October Corkin, we are getting the unmasking of the Yellow Demon. It was either here or after the main event. Either way, this segment worked. I, I'm. We'll talk about it more next week. Very intrigued by Maria and Ashita wrestling in the opener. Just an interesting caveat to that match that I can't. I can't totally figure out what that means, quite honestly. Yeah, it, it's going to be an interesting match on a loaded show. Finishing out this Corkin, we had the number change six-man tag match. This was set up, of course, from the August Corkin, where they drew their entry order for the cage match. It was the odds versus the evens, which I only noticed just now. That tells you where my mental state is right now, Case okay, so I only now notice, oh, they put the odds on one side, the evens on another. It was Big R Shimizu, the one seed. Ada, the three, Yamato, the five, going up against Kai, the two seed, BB Hulk, the four, and Masato Yoshino representing the last entrant into the cage. Big R Shimizu got the win. He defended his number one spot as he had his special variation of the Law of Magistral Cradle. That's surprisingly over, but it's not over in a way that's like, holy shit, this is a crazy move. It's more like, oh, it's time for this dipshit to do his <laughs> flashman <laughs> as he pinned Masato Yoshino. In 15 minutes and 27 seconds. And after some consternation, it seems like Shimizu is sick of Ada's shit and decided to give him Yoshino's six entry spot. So that changes Ada's number three to to uh, Yoshino's number six. And Masato Yoshino, probably for the first time in his career, was thankful for Big R Shimizu. This was all worth it because with it being Shimizu in particular to announce that Eita and Yoshino were changing entry order. That spot was beautiful. I mean, that was a really, really well-done segment that fits the narrative they're going for, that is executed by the right people in the right place. My hang-up on this, look, I didn't think this match was necessary, and as we'll talk about with one of the Osaka shows in just a second, for whatever reason, I am never a fan of of the what are typically the Dead or Alive, Road to Dead or Alive six-man tags, where they have the cage match participants kind of scattered about in these random six-man tags where unit affiliations blur, etc. I don't know why. I don't like these matches. I didn't really like this match. Uh, the crowd, as much as they could, they were into it again. With the exception of Doi, you're looking at the biggest stars in the company. So, you know, they, they were alive for this, but the in-ring... I don't know, this match did not feel like a Corkin main event. It felt like a Kobe Sambo Hall main event, which, not necessarily bad, but not what I'm looking for in this role, and I fear that when they headline one of the Osaka shows with a similar match, I am going to think the same thing when I'm done watching it. Yeah, it's fair to say that this really was a match that was about interplay. They, they Everyone kick, trying to interrupt their own teammates' pins because they're the ones who wanted to protect their spot. Good storyline match, but not necessarily a cork and main event. I went three and a half stars because, you know, the crowd was into it. And Shimizu's the world's slowest law Magistral cradle is is legitimately gives me life. It's just one of those things that the crowd, you actually heard the crowd laugh a little bit and applaud heavily for it. And I thought that that was great. And then the post-match is just Big R Shimizu being his true self, being tired of Ada, being an asshole to him, going like, oh, I want you to be last now. And then Yoshino going like, that means I'm third now? Thank you, Shimizu-sama. And it was tremendous bowing to Shimizu and just sheer glee thinking that his career might not be ended in the cage match. But yeah, this was a road to main event. And, you know, after the stretches of match four through six, I'm okay with that. that this was the road to yeah, main event. Completely. And this is it. And just to put a bow on it, great show. 
it will be on the network with Japanese broadcast and commentary until the 16th. We do not know when the English commentary version will go up. It might be up by the time they all listen to this show. But case before we get to Osaka, just going to run down this pretty quickly. The only other two shows we had over the last week were their traditional Okinawa late summer tour done in concert with Riku Pro, Riku Dragon Pro, where they, they bring the fans to Osaka and they go have a nice time on the beach for two days, and they have two shows as well. Attendance for this is low, but it doesn't really matter. They're all based. This is like a bot vacation show. Like I don't judge that whatsoever. And you just get to have like nice little matches on here. Not really worth going down everything. It, it, if you saw the card, you could guess what happened. The one match that I'm sad did not make tape, however, is Doyoshi, Naruki Doi, and Masato Yoshino on the first night facing off against Dragon Lee, or Dragon Daya and Jason Lee. Dragon Lee is a wrestler who doesn't use that name anymore. No, that would be, and, you know what, if we could get that going, though, uh, a Speed Muscle versus Dragon Lee and Dragon Daya tag, if if somebody wants to fund that, let me know and I'll kick it a few bucks, because that also sounds excellent. Yeah, 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 that'd be fun. But yeah, no, this was... Just looking at the cards, that's probably the highlight, I think, of the tour, other than UT versus Kaido Ishida. So, I mean, that those were my thoughts about these Okinawa shows that probably will never make tape. Well, it's, yeah, it's a bummer they're not making tape, just because I'm sure even in the COVID-verse, they're very fun shows, just aesthetically. But the the one match that you mentioned is the match that mattered, where it's Doi and Yoshi versus Jason Lee and Dragon Daya. And Mike, I don't know if you noticed, but Dragon Daya ate the pin. He took a Bakatari sliding kick right. in 14 minutes, which... Uh, you know, according to my calculations, this is the first time Dragon Daya has been ten by has been pinned by a member of the Toriumon generation during this feud. All of Dragon Daya's falls previously had come from Red, and I found it very interesting that he took the fall in an untelevised, as you put it, bought vacation show tag match. But it was at least a small thing to make note of. Yes, yeah, small thing to make note of. Another, and then also, man. Give me a UT versus Kaido Ishido match every day of the week, and I'm happy. That would be something also worth touching on. Uh, something else that's worth touching on before we break down these Osaka shows. It was announced with Cork, and that in partnership with the LEC Corporation, Dragon Gate has launched a new program on Amazon Video Prime in Japan. It is Dragon Gate, all in lowercase letters, that's denoting that this show will be entirely different from the main Dragon Gate brand. And they've had the first one up. Uh, they did make a note on this that Strong Machine J activated the other machines for their hibernation. This is exclusive to the Japanese Amazon Prime, but it's like 3,000 yen to to like own the VOD and then 900 for a view. Entirely different universe. They've revived Mozuki Dojo and had Senior Aoki join it. Don Fuji is the manager for the Strong the Strong Machines. It just is its own thing. It's wild. It was apparently taped during the. Uh, shut down at lapis hall i i can get these shows but i don't think the, t the shows because they're in their own universe other than seeing oshinya yaoki and mochizuki dojo i don't really see the worth time or money personally but i imagine if the, these do pretty well then they will make them available to the west but wanted to make a note of it did you have any other big thoughts about underscore undercase dragon gate in concert with the lec corporation they sell basically the LEC Corporation sell basically the uh, Mr. Clean Magic Erasers in Japan. Look, if it pops up on the network, I'll give it a watch, and I'll at least tweet about it, if not covered on the show. I don't anticipate that happening, though. It looks like it's locked into Amazon Prime Japan, and it's not canon. It's like Prime Zone. 
which if it's like Prime Zone, it means the matches probably aren't very good, not because guys aren't trying hard, but they're just not structured to have great matches. It's it's worth mentioning because I think it's going to bring Drangate a bunch of money. I think it's a really smart business move to do, but unless these shows are brought to me in an easier capacity, I will not be watching them. And and also, doing the press release, uh, building around the strong machines, not an incentive to buy. Yeah, yeah. As soon as I saw the photo of the strong machines out there, I was like, okay, I know what yep, this no, is. Yeah, no, I know. I know what this project <laughs> is. They are going to line their wallets and good for them. I am not participating in this, though. Yeah, no. that would, Those were my thoughts exactly. So, this weekend we have two shows coming up. One of the shows might have happened by the time this gets to you. They are doing the double shot that we've been talking about for the last few weeks in Edeon Arena Soccer 2. The first show is on the 12th. It will be live on the network at 6 p.m. Japanese Standard Time. That's 5 a.m. for people on the West Coast of the United States, 2 a.m. for the uh, Pacific, people in the Pacific. And then the next night, they will be back for an afternoon show at 3 p.m. Japanese Standard Time. That's 2 a.m. on the East Coast and midnight on the Pacific. Okay, so you want me to just run down the cards and we'll give our thoughts after that? Yeah, most of most of my thoughts on these cards intersected with our Cork and Discourse, so please run them down, or at least this first show, and we'll break that down and then yeah. talk about the second show. Yeah, let's do that. So, opener, six-man tag team match, Punch, Tomonaga, UT, and Hoho Loon versus Kaida, Kaito Ishida, Diamante, and Kazuma Sakamoto, a singles match between Yosuke San Maria and Hyo, a tag match of Ultimo Dragon and Ryo Saito versus Gamma and Masaki Mochizuki. A six-man tag match with Masato Yoshino, Don, Don Fuji, Shuji Kondo versus Benkei, Keisuke Okuda, and Jimmy. Jimmy's making an appearance on this show. And then a tag match of Yamato and Kai versus Ada and Big Arshimizu. And the main event of the first night is KZ, Kota Minonura, Jason Lee, and Dragon Daya versus Naruki Doi, Dragon Kid, Susumi Yokosuka, and Kagatora. Yeah, my eyes immediately go to match four. Obviously, obviously Jimmy is taking the fall in this match. Three of the most legendary Dragon Gate competitors of all time against Ben K, Akuda, and Jimmy. The fall there is obvious. I'm pumped to see Jimmy get to prove himself in this capacity. I hope Shuji Kondo throws him literally all across the ring. That match has potential to be really great. And then, like I said, they're running back a version of that main... Uh, uh, the match five from Corkin, they're putting it in the main event here and replacing UT with Dragon Daya, which for as much as we love UT, that is an upgrade. So that match has a chance to be uh, absolutely terrific. It's going to get more time. It's in a better place on the card, and there's a better wrestler in the match. So this first Osaka show, really looking forward to it. There's a lot of fun stuff here. Yeah, yeah, and then you have the stuff going to the cage match with the former Tri-Vanguard tag team against the former top R.E.D. tag team. The uh, it, it, it's a fun show. Looks like it's going to be a good time. The stuff on the lower part of the show looks like what it is, what it is, and then as soon as we get to like the the last three matches, that seems to be where there's a little bit of meat on the bone there. Uh, night two, we start off with a what's more of a traditional opening match: Ultimo Dragon, Don Fuji, and Dragon Kid versus Masaki Mochizuki, Gamma, and Punch Tomonaga. A tag team match: Ginky Horiguchi and Susumi Yokosuka versus Kisuke Akuda and Jason Lee. The singles match on the show, Shuji Kondo versus Kento Kabune. Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Press. <laughs> we all need to press F and chat for him there. Uh, and then we have a, an eight-man tag. Uh, it is Maria, Minonora, Yuti, and Daya versus Ishida, Yoshida, 
Diamante and Sakamoto. Match five is Naruki Doi and Yuji Kanda. First time we've seen Kanda in a couple weeks going against KZ and Binke. And the main event, as we've talked about before, is the traditional Road to Dangerous Gate special six-man tag team match where they mix up all the stables and they're doing their traditional lead that we talked about, about Korkin. The teams this time are Ada, Masato Yoshino, and Yamato, who I don't think that those three have ever, those three have never been in a unit together, no, against BB Hulk, Big R Shimizu, and Kai. So we kind of have former Tribe Vanguard slash Dia Hearts members there. So night Night two looks like the tradi- more traditional go-home show for the uh, pay-per-view. Mike, you got to give me an over-under on Kondo Kabune and the match length. What are we thinking? You got to give me a number and I can adapt to it. I am, I am so excited for this match. All right, Case, I, I'm going to do this. We're going to get some little bit of ASMR for our listeners here. That's the cap of my marker off. We're going to put this on the whiteboard. So, Kondo and Kabune... Over, under, I'm going to set the time at eight minutes. Oh, boy. Okay. All right. Over, under on Kabune, who I think could be a future Dreamgate champion, against Kondo, who, if, if there was a most, uh, or I'm not a most, a, a comeback wrestler of the year award, it would be Kondo taking not only first place, but I think second and third as well. The story of Shuji Kondo this year has been phenomenal to watch. An eight-minute over-under on Kondo Kabune. I said a tough time here. Mike, give me the over. Barely. Barely. Okay. But give me the over. You see, if I wanted to be a real jerk, I would set the time at eight minutes, 30 seconds. That is, that, that that's the trick there. But I think eight, I think going over on that is fair. I By default, are you going to get the under? Can we compare this next week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since you, since I set the time, I take the opposite of your option, so I'm taking the end. All right, I that is look that is the standout on this card. I weirdly think that Drangate versus Red Eight Man, that Maria Minora UT Dia team, I, that just looks fun. I'm just excited to see what those four can do together. Uh, the the latter half of the card doesn't do a ton for me, but Kondo versus Kabune, I am all in on that match. Yeah, and just for record case you're currently 1 and 0 in our wagers. You are the one who had the condo. The condo wagers now as we're calling. <laughs> them. Uh, so, with you picking the correct time, the closest to the condo Hyo match from last month. So, interesting show. Yeah, no, that that 8-man tag is going to be real interesting. We do have my weak point in there, so we'll see about that. And then, you know, Horiguchi and y- Yokosuka versus Akuda and Lee, that could be a lot of fun. That match has potential some storylines there and then it's nice that Yushishi Kondo gets out of the house I'm glad for him you know gets to go out get go on a stroll get to be in a match you know seems like a good time for him I'm happy for Kondo he's got to earn that paycheck okay you look at it as a nice stroll out of the house I look at this as a guy who's got to do some labor for me to justify that paycheck all right we got different ends of the spectrum on Kondo and his labor rights here I'm not sure if I'm pumped to see him back on the card or not but he's in a match with three really good guys so I think it'll work out all right yeah, it's going to be real interesting. In case uh, we're right at an hour, do you want to do our our be- our quick hits of the best matches? Check out on the network for uh, Dangerous Gate stuff now, or should we do that next week and just make it a full on Dangerous Gate preview and retrospective? Let, you know what? Let's do it now because we're gonna have two shows. Okay. We're gonna have two shows to break down next week, plus previewing Dangerous Gate. So I've got. Uh, 
match recommendations, about two or three match recommendations for each Dangerous Gate show that is currently on the network, which is 2015 through 2019. Uh, the 2014 show will be uploaded to the Dragon Gate Network on September 17th, and the 2012 show will be uploaded on the 20th. So I've got recommendations for all of that, but let's give the listeners a week to get into the Dangerous Gate mindset and you just want okay. me to run down these recommendations real quick, and you can kind of, you know, throw in some matches here and there? Yeah, 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 because there's going to be a lot of it. So it's the, there's a, this is not going to be as pronounced as our Kobe World one, where there was just a ton of Kobe World shows to go through. There's only been Dangerous Gate since 2012. Yeah, so let me go through. We'll start with uh, 2017 through 2019, sort of a more modern era of the promotion. Uh, 20, sure. 2017, you're going to want to watch uh, CK1 Shima and Dragon Kid defending the Twin Gate belts against Big R Shimizu and Kotoka. Super fun match there. And then, then the Berserk versus Jimmy's unit disbands match. An all-timer, incredible drama, really good stuff on that show. Yeah, and the main event there is Masaki Mochizuki ending Yamato's incredibly long title reign. And it's worked as a Masaki Mochizuki match. That's worth checking out there as well. And if you're looking for a point to kind of just uh, jump in on this show, and if you're interested in it, uh, match four is a maximum trio of Speed Muscle and Benkei versus Ada, Kaido Ishido, and Takahiro Yamamura right before Takahiro Yamamura really broke out. So, like, this is, like, a fun show. Like, really, if you enter at that point, you're going to have a good time. 2018, there's a really good Yoshino versus Doi main event, one of their better singles matches. There's a 10-man elimination tag match with R.E.D. and Natural Vibes, which was the debut of Kazuma Sakamoto. But the match to watch from 2018 Dangerous Gate, one of my favorite matches of this era of the promotion, B.B. Hulk and Yamato versus Masaki Mochizuki and Shun Skywalker for the Open the Twin Gate belts. We've talked since he debuted about how Shun is dangerous and unpredictable and is always one wrong step away from possibly ending his career. There is not a more dangerous Shun Skywalker match than this one. He is on a on another planet in this match. He narrowly avoids death multiple times. If you have not seen it, I highly recommend it. Yeah, it's just like this insane thing. Like there's like these dives, and he did one of those in the match we reviewed from with IWRG. His spaceman dives are the most insane thing in wrestling. Like just remarkably nuts. And then the ten man tag was the big reveal of Red and Kazuma Sakamoto. It's interesting to have that uh, Shingo Takaki versus Kai at a time where we were very down on Kai. Yeah, because Mike, because that match sucked. Other than Shingo's final match in the company, which was Shingo versus Hulk, that is Shingo's last singles match in Dragon Gate, and that match is abysmal. I thought, like, this match wasn't great, but I think this was real legitimately Kai's best match in the company to that point, which tells you how <laughs> rough things are. And yeah, you forgot your main man's in the opener case, and I can't believe is this a Is this you... a drastic boy opener? No, it's a Willie Mack opener. Oh, man. Willie Mack, I want him back. He was so good uh, during this time period. And uh, at least I talked to Willie Mack briefly at an AAW show right before things shut down. And he, it, Willie Mack seemed very confused that I knew that he wrestled in Japan. He seemed very taken aback by the fact that I had seen his work in Dragon Gate. But he also 
at least seemed excited or open to the idea about possibly returning. I hope that happens at some point in the distant future. 2019 to conclude the era of shows that are on uh, in full on the Dragon Gate Network. I would recommend Shun Skywalker versus Susumu Yokosuka. The no DQ Absolutely. match of uh, Big R Shimizu and Eita versus Genki, Horiguchi, and Keizi. And the main event of Ben K versus Yamato. Yeah, yeah, no, like that's really... Those are the, the really big high points on this show. Really, everything else on this, I'm looking at this card. This is the card that I have like the least recommendations for, unless you are of a certain mindset like I am. Uh, Mochizuki no Kuda versus Doi Nishida is a fun tag match. That is a fun but tag really match, the, yeah. But really, those last three matches are the big standouts there. I mean, no, I mean as much as I love my boy Hio Wanabe, that Triangle Gate match was kind of rough in retrospect. Uh, 2016, to move backwards a little bit, these shows are clipped in some capacity on the network. I, I didn't really dive into 2016 too much. I expect every match to be on there, but a lot of the undercard to be cut drastically. But from 2016, uh, the eight-man tag of Shima, Dragon Kid, Flamita, and Masaki Mochizuki against Big R Shimizu, Masato Yoshino, T-Hawk, and Peter Kasa. That match rules. There was no reason for it to happen. Did not make storyline sense, but that match ruled. And then the Yamato versus Akira Tozawa opened the Dreamgate main event. Yeah, yeah. Was this the match or was the Kobe World the match where they completely didn't catch Peter on a dive and then Peter didn't catch Flamita on this on the next dive? I believe, this I match believe or Kobe that was World. Because World? World was a, a triple threat trios match. Nine minutes of that match. And there's, there's a dive where Kasa just hits the fucking ground. I mean, it's it's hard to watch because he comes down with such velocity. Here, it was just, it was a weird match. I remember when it was announced, people were like, well, why why are they doing this? Like, what's, because a lot of Peter Casa's run, he was teaming with Over Generation. He was never an official member, but it, it was largely aligned with Shima and Dragon Kid, and then they squared him off, uh, you know, against those guys with Monster Express, and it was a collection of spots, but it was a very fun one at that. Yeah, yeah, and then you know, this was like the revival of the Akosuka Chome tag against Doi and Shingo Takagi. Not the best match, but yeah, Yamato and Akira Tozawa is such an interesting one just for how emotional it gets post match. 20. That's when, oh, yes, go ahead. Because that's when Tozawa announced that he'd be leaving the company. Ugh, unfortunately. Well, 2015, one of the all time great Dragon Gate shows. I feel like we just talked about this. Uh, Tozawa versus Punch versus Shisa for the Brave Gate belt. Uh, Dragon Kid and Flamita versus Hulk and Mochizuki. Shima Fuji Gamma versus Shimizu Eita T-Hawk. The Jimmys versus Mad Blanky unit disbands match. And Shingo versus Yoshino. The the thing with 2015, watch the whole file. It's one of the best shows I've ever seen. Yeah, and really, I, I mean, I have a soft spot for him, but you have Nisawa Rongai in the comedy match there. Uh, it's just, like, such a strong show from top to bottom, like... Dragon Kid and Flamita signing the tag team together against Hulk and Misaki Mochizuki is wild. The Zombies of Veterans trio is tremendous. Like, that one, it was a lot of fun. And then you had, like, because this was post-Millennials. This is right when Ada was starting to turn heel in a little way there. We are earlier on the show, after the opener, Katoka completely snaps and shaves UT's head. Remember that? Wow, like that yes. was a Wow. And, and then you have probably the most emotional, uh, uh, a unit must loser must disband match in company history. Like that one is just tremendous. And then that's led up with like Shingo Takagi. Like this is, if you're like looking at eras, an era started with this dangerous gate show, mainly because it's the end of Mad Blanky, but also because 
you have Shingo turning heel for the last time. Just one of like the most tremendous shows that the company's ever put on. A show that historically Hiroshi Tanahashi was mad about because it got more praise than the G1 final that year. I did not know that. I if, I forgot about it until someone brought that up to wow. me in the VOD Discord that uh, last night. Like, I completely forgot about it. But, yeah, no, this show is that good that Hiroshi Tanahashi does not usually talk about Dragon Gate but was mad about this show being this good. Oh, that rules. And I really like the G1 finals from that year. That's a, that's a really good G1. But, oh, that's good to hear. I did not know that. Yeah, absolutely. And then 2014. 2014's a... Fun show as well as I'm looking at. You know, this 2014 show had a lot of interesting stuff here as well. Yeah, so 2014, this show will be uploaded to the network on the 17th. I love this show. I have probably not seen this show since it aired, but uh, looking at this card, I remembered the entire thing. It is the Punch Tamanaga versus Shima singles match that is worth watching for historical reasons. T-Hawk and Ata versus Dragon Kid and Mochizuki. This match is crazy underrated. This is peak T-Hawk and Ata against a really fun team and a unit Dia Hearts that I will continue to defend. They were largely useless, but always put on good matches. And this is actually, I think, even pre-Dia Hearts. This is Dragon Kid and Mochizuki teaming as Team Pantaloons because they both wore right. long, baggy pants. You had a Mad Blanky <laughs> versus Monster Express Loser Resurrection Survival 8-Man Tag Captain's Fall match, which I remember Uha Nation being really good in that. And then the main event was... This match owns. Yeah, This oh match my outright God. rules. And then... Probably one of Mondai Ryu's best matches ever. <laughs> that is saying something. And then Doi versus Hulk in the main event. Doi being Mr. Ota Ward threatened to hit the muscular bomb on Hulk and break his neck. I love the build of this. I love that match. 2014, like I said, it goes up on the 17th. A really, really fun show. Yeah, like, this is just a blast here. The weird notice qualification punch versus Shima match <laughs> is wild here. Uh, Susumu Katoka versus Don Fuji and Yuga Hayashi, now known as Olinda Men. Just, like, a really just fun match. It's just a wild show. Like, this is, and this is one of the things that, like, this was when Hulk's reign felt fresh, when everything was beautiful and, and nothing hurt, especially for Hulk. I like Hulk's reign a lot. That's uh, one of those that just, it's it, it'll be forgotten in history, but Hulk's Dreamgate run was really good. And then it was a blast. We go to 2012, which will be uploaded on the 20th, the day before Dangerous Gate, the last thing we'll talk about today. Mike, there are three matches here, and I, I've seen this show a, a long time ago, but uh, it, it's a show with three matches worth watching. Obviously, uh, Mochizuki and Fuji versus Shingo and Yamato. Anytime those teams wrestled, it's essential viewing. The main event of Shima versus Doi. And of course, of course, a guy that we just talked about on the Drangate USA Rewind and Rewatch <laughs> series for historical purposes, Daichi Hashimoto teams with Masada Yoshino against Kagatora and Susumu. You would be an absolute fool not to watch that match when it is uploaded. God, this is real. Dragon Gate was in a different time looking <laughs> yeah. at this card. I mean, we have Punch before he was Punch. We have uh, Super Shenlong 3, Habu. I mean, I miss Habu. Habu was fun. I'd I, I book him tomorrow, Mike. I think he's still incredibly good. Yeah. Uh, uh, Masamune getting a, a Brave Gate shot. Uh, that Hashimoto match sucks. <laughs> like, and that's considering who else is in that match. And then, like, you have, like, the next important step in the uh, Naoki Tanizaki naming story. Like, that's a huge thing. And then, yeah, as you said, like, 
Mochi Fuji versus Takagi Yamato is a must-watch whenever you see it. Like, this match might have been... No, this is 2012. There were other better matches in this year, but would have been, like, a top three match of the year for me. That Team Veteran Returns versus Akatsuki tag team. Probably the best thing Akatsuki ever did. Yeah, either that or the match where they disband. It's it's one or the yep. other. Yep, one or the other. Pick, pick your choice. Pick your poison there. Well, Mike, that's that's all I've got, uh, not only for Dangerous Gate history, but for this entire episode. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad that we did that. I, I like looking back at these shows and remembering some shows and remembering some matches. I mean, where else can we talk about Habu, Peter Kasa, and Daichi Hashimoto? <laughs> there's, I, Mike, I promise you there's no other podcast that will dare mention those three names in the same episode. <laughs> All right, and that's going to do it for this week's edition of Open the Voice Gate, our update episode. We'll be back probably at a normal time next week. Uh, we, of course, because of Corkin, we wanted to shift things so we could cover it when it was timely but we'll be back next week talk about the osaka doubleheader and then doing our huge dangerous gate 2020 preview and taking a look at what will be no matter what masada yoshima's last homecoming show in his home ward of higashi osaka so for case i'm mike and we'll catch you next time on open the voice gate